um, have been on a, uh, a brief series in our exploring, again, the vision, uh, mission, and core values of Conduit. And this served, serves, not just served, but serves as uh, somewhat of a reset. You know, the very first week we discussed how uh, there are a lot of people who, and maybe you are one of them, it's, it's really easy to get down on the, the, the New Year's resolution fad, right? Like, okay, New Year, new me, um, going to do it differently this time, and um, I'm not one of those people. I love New Year's resolutions. I think that the New Year, even though it is just another day, it does kind of have this um, real symbolic feeling and sense of, all right, we're starting over again. It's new. Here, here we go. Um, yeah, definitely. New year, new me. God, God, help me. Lord, give me your grace. Um, help, me, help me to be who you have called me to be. And, and, and likewise with um, a, a big group here, a corporate body. Like sometimes it's necessary for us to say, okay, um, uh, reset Let's reevaluate, not necessarily reevaluate, but let's, let's remember the reasons that we're doing, the things that we're doing, the directions that we're going. Um, let's, let's like, the, like the wise men did, let's focus our attention on, on that north star of our lives, of our corporate lives together. Um, let's keep our eyes fixated on it, and we're going to follow it, and we're going to follow it right to the promise that is Jesus Christ, right? And for, so for us, our number one core value here at Conduit is that Jesus is everything, and the gospel changes it all. And we try to, man, as many times as I can say that, and as many times as I can remind you of that, as many times as I can remind myself of that, I want to be able to do that. Um, but here, uh, part three, we're going to deal with our final two core values uh, of, our, our, of our main five core values. So as a little bit of a reminder from last week, if you were here last week, uh, or if you weren't here last week, or if you listened to it on the app or anything like that, uh, just give you a reminder of what we talked about last week, the two core values that we talked about last week. The first one was, is that we have one job, that the primary the primary task of the church, the primary task of us gathered here, the primary task of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It is not, it is not a secondary task. It is not one important ministry amongst an, a, a bunch of other important ministries. It is the primary ministry. It is the primary task that the church of Jesus Christ has been given is to make disciples. The last words of Jesus to his disciples, and like anyone who has ever sat on the deathbed or with someone at the end of their life, those last words usually hold quite a bit of weight and importance. And in Matthew uh, chapter 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world. And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go into Judea and in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we take the words of Jesus seriously because he is everything and his gospel changes it all. So if making disciples is the primary task of 
of the church. Um, we also understand that, uh, the, that, that coupled with that is this next core value, and that is that we do life together. If the primary task is making disciples, then the primary environment for disciple-making is gospel community. So the best way in which to make disciples of Jesus Christ is doing it communally, doing it together. That, that the Christian life is not a life that can be lived on an individual basis. It's kind of like Lone Ranger Christianity. I'm just going to go at it by myself. You know, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the church. And we talked about last week how if you love Jesus but don't like the church, then you're not in good company because Jesus loved the church, right? And Scripture says that, that Jesus gave his life up for the church, that, that, that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And so that the, the environment of disciple-making is in the environment of gospel community, simply and just like Jesus did. Not simply a, a, a teaching ministry, right? Not just getting his disciples more education or more knowledge, but saying, hey, come and walk with me. Follow me, and I will show you how to be fishers of men. And so these disciples of Jesus, they followed him around, not just for a short period of time to learn the important lessons that they needed to learn, but to watch how Jesus lived, to see what he did how he interacted with people because there's there's so much difference between just knowing something and actually seeing it applied in in actual real life relationships situations experiences and that's what Jesus sought to do with his disciples so the primary task of the church is to make disciples the primary environment for disciple making is gospel um, community and here the last two uh, core values this morning uh, that we're going to deal with. The first one is that we live on mission. The primary direction of disciples of Jesus Christ is moving out on mission. That if the primary task is disciple making, the primary environment is gospel community, the primary direction of a disciple of Jesus Christ is moving out on mission. Now there are lots of um, ways that you can understand mission. And I think that, uh, well, maybe unfortunately, maybe fortunately, I don't know. We won't put a value judgment on it. But the word mission or the idea mission has got attached to mission trips. Well, if I'm going to be on mission, I guess i got to buy a plane ticket, right? And i got to go to Mexico and I'm going to build a house, uh, and I'm going to take some pics for the gram, right? And I'm going to come back with a t-shirt, be like, I did it. I went on mission, right? And, and while that may be true, there is, a, there, there, there is um, some, some truth to that, right? Uh, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to simply pigeonhole the idea of going out on mission as jumping on a plane, going across an ocean, right? Going to a place where you don't speak the language and telling people that Jesus loves them. And of course, hear me when I say there's nothing, 
nothing universally wrong with that, right? But, but we go out on mission every single day, right? When, when, when I go and have an interaction with the, um, with, uh, the counter attendant at Quickfill, or when I have a, uh, a conversation with one of the guys that I work out with at my gym, or um, when, uh, uh, when, I can, when I can interact with one, of, one, with one of you, or when I go to the doctor's office, or when, when, when I'm interacting with people, when they are experiencing who, who I am, I have, an, I have an opportunity to share with them both what Jesus has done in my life and the very presence of Jesus in me. Going out on mission, being on mission, is, is not simply existing for my own benefit. Like, oh yeah, what God has done for me, what God has done in me, it is only for me. It's just for me. It's, it's private. Right? It's private. Well, my faith is a private thing. You know, your faith is a personal thing. Right? It is personal to you. You have a, you have a personal story about how the, the, the Spirit of God has has come upon you or is moving or working in your life and heart and, and, and certain parts of your story and, and certain experiences and certain relationships where, where, where the Spirit of God is, is speaking into your life and it's very personal to you. And your personal story is different than my personal story. It's different than your personal story. But listen, Scripture knows nothing of a faith that is private. Of a faith that is held within and exists only for me. Like God did it for me and, and no one needs to know, no one should ever know what God has, has done for me. There's, there's no such thing as a faith that is private. Living on mission means that I, I not only exist, I don't exist only for my own benefit, but, but taking what God has done in me taking what God has done through me and giving that to others. God has changed me. God has redeemed me. God has, God has set me free. God has, God has forgiven me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Allowing what the Spirit of God has done in my life to not just sit here in the center of my soul, but just like the name suggests, being a conduit of receiving what God has done through the grace of Jesus Christ and allowing that to pass to others. And that doesn't just happen in a foreign country. That happens in every single interaction, every single relationship that you have. Whether your relationship or interaction is with your spouse or with your child or with a family member or with a neighbor or someone at Wegmans or Starbucks or Home Depot or at work or outside shoveling, wherever that may exist, we are always people who are on mission for Jesus. To share what God has done in us. To bring people along in what God is doing through us. And listen, what is scary to me um, is that this is somewhat, this, this, this feels like a somewhat new and trendy idea for some people. Like, mission, yeah, 
that's a good idea. I wish someone would have thought of that a long time ago. Well, this is not a new idea. This is not some trendy, emerging church, like, 21st century topic of, yeah, followers of Jesus Christ should be on mission. This is, this is an idea that is as old as the people of God themselves. All right? This is not new. This is not trendy. This is not something like that some strategic church leaders came up with in the last couple of years and decided that, yeah, we're going to really motivate churches to be on mission. No, like the primary task of a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not a program. It's not a ministry. It's something that, oh, yeah, I think, yeah, let's decide this year to make disciples. No, it's more like a part of our identity and who we are. It's written on the DNA of who we are. Mission is written on the DNA of those who are the people of God. It is not, it is not, um, it is not some like, well, well, we'll try to fund it in the budget if we have enough money. Missions. No, it's like, it's what defines us as church. It's what defines us as the people of God. I hope to show you that this morning from the scripture. If you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, that's the Old Testament, and we're Christians, so we read out of the New Testament. Um, uh, I would say you're, you're wrong. Uh, we are Christians until we read out of both the old and the new. Um, so, look, in, um, as long as there were people, right? as long as there has been people, God, God has been setting aside a group of people to be his, like, in a manner of speaking, his, his ambassadors on earth. As long as there has been people, God has been selecting people out of those people to say, okay, I've got a task for you. I've got a job for you. You, you are my plan A in the world, right? The first time that God really does that in a super significant way is here in Genesis chapter 12, okay? With a guy named Abraham. He's Abram here at this point in the story. God later gives him a new name. We know him mostly as Abraham, the, the father of the Israelite or Jewish nation, right? And the first time that God interacts with Abram here is in Genesis chapter 12. And he kind of lays out, okay, Abram, this is what I want you to do. This is what I need from you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those 
who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Like God lays out this kind of like, this plan for Abraham, right? Um, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, listen, listen, I, I will make you into something. I will make you, Abraham, your descendants into a great nation. I, I will make you into a people. Not only will I make you into a people, but in the midst of making you into something, I will bless you. I will pour out my blessing on you. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I, I will make your name great. But mixed in with all of those promises of God about what he plans to do, making a people of Abraham's descendants, blessing them in abundance, are also some qualifications for why he is doing those things. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Listen. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That God's, God's design here in, in calling a people unto himself was that God would do something in them. God would do something, I guess you could say, for them. God would call this group of people out from the rest of the world, put a specific calling and task on their life and say, you, it's, it's you people right here. You are going to be the ones that are going to be the conduit of my blessing for the rest of the world. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will prosper you in every way so that you may do these things. So that you may be a blessing. So that every single person, every single nation, every single area, every single country, every single family will be blessed through you. That God was setting up even in this, like, even in the very beginning a way in which he would work in the world through his people. And of course we know the, 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 the fallout of all of that is that God established the Israelite nation, right? And God, God, God said, these are my people, right? These are, these are my people. And I always think, well, like, what was so special about the Israelites? What was so special about the Jewish people that God chose them above everyone else and decided that he was going to bless them and bless no one else? And we, we always think in that way, but like, 
But, but listen, this wasn't a calling because, like, the Israelite people were somehow better than everyone else. Like, oh, I like them better. I love them more, so I will choose them. No, this was a calling of obligation. This was a calling of responsibility, right? That, that the condition upon which God blesses, prospers, and makes this nation is that they would in turn be the plan A of God's redemption of all people in all places for all time. That seems like a pretty heavy task. And it was a heavy task. It was a, it was a, it was a tremendous task. And sometimes, I mean, like you and I, we, we, get in this, we can get in this frame of reference and be like, well, geez, thank goodness I'm not Jewish. Right? Anyone here Jewish? Okay. So, I'm not Jewish, you're not Jewish, this doesn't apply to us, right? Israelite people in Israel, like, no. Right? It does apply to us. Right? If you've ever, um, li- listen, it is virtually the whole ministry of the Apostle Paul was communicating that all Gentiles, okay, no, no one here is Jewish, right? Okay, so how many here, how many people here are Gentiles? That would mean the rest of you, right? So a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish, right? Okay, so uh, the primary, the primary communication of the Apostle Paul throughout all of the New Testament, besides, of course, Jesus Christ, right? But Paul's ministry was to the Gentile nation. And he, he, he said vir- virtually his whole ministry was communicating that all Gentiles who expressed faith in Jesus Christ were now grafted into the tree, the family tree of God's people who descended from Abraham. That, that, that Jesus is the, the connecting link that, that grafts together the Gentile people and the Jewish people into the same family, now living under the same promises of God. We see uh, a primary example of this in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, right? A Greek-speaking Gentile city and church. And, and what, would, what would Paul have to say to these Christians? Well, we go to Ephesians chapter 2, all right? And, um, and, and, and picture, picture this in your mind. When Paul begins to, um, when Paul, well, we'll just read it. You don't need my explanation. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Remember, the ministry of Paul was to the Gentile people, okay? Gentiles were not Jews, so they were not living under the covenant promises of God as the people of God, all right? But Paul's going to come along and say that, that by faith in Jesus Christ, all those who expressed faith in Jesus were now part of the same family of God, whether Jew or Gentile, and he starts by saying this in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that formerly, 
uh, you who are Gentiles by birth, or the uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time, you were, uh, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So Paul's just like, hey, remember, you Gentiles, you uncircumcised people, you were foreigners to the people of God. You, you, were, not, you were not part of the covenant people of God. Because you, you weren't a part of the nation of God, you weren't part of it, right? Verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So you were once far away from the people of God, but now through the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been brought near. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He has made the two, Gentiles and Jews, he has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, then, was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and he preached peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one spirit. And this is the kicker here, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, oh, I'm, Jew, I'm, a, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile, so thank God this responsibility uh, that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to be a blessing and to bless all people whew, doesn't apply to me. I'm not a part of the nation of Israel. Consequently, Paul says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Reader's Digest, condensed version, Cliff Notes experience of Genesis chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 2 is this. God set apart a people. And he asked those people to be his hands, feet, plan A, conduit of blessing to the whole world and when jesus came jesus was the like the missing link that engrafted all those who would believe by faith in him to that same 
promise. So you and I, when we express faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ, when we surrender ourselves to him, we become part of the covenant promise people of God who have been asked to take what God has given to us and be a blessing to others in the world. Period. It is not a new thing. It is not a trendy thing. Being on mission for the sake of what God wants to do in the world is not just something that, well, this church does over here. They're a missional church. Every church is a missional church or it's not a church. It is woven into the very DNA of the people of God to be on mission, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, close the book, end of conversation. It is written. And so all of the time that we see in the New Testament, both Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, right, um, the Apostle John, Right? Both in his gospel, but also in his epistles, and in the book of Revelation. Every time we see the word church in our English translation, right? the, the Greek word that exists there for church, that has been translated church, is this word, um, I have it up on screen for you, um, ekklesia, is the way you pronounce that word, ekklesia. And the literal, the literal definition of the Greek word ekklesia, which is translated as church in our, in our Bibles, but the literal uh, translation is the called out community. And so when you hear people say, you know, like kind of the cliche, well, the church is not the building, it's the people, right? It's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's literally true, right? Every single time that the scripture, the New Testament scripture, uses the word church, it's the word ecclesia. And it's talking not about a physical place that has walls and a roof and a heater and lights on so it's nice and comfortable. It's talking about you. It's talking about you people who have been called out from the whole. A community of people who has been called out from the whole with a special mission of God, the plan A of God to be his blessing. And he promises to make a name for us and he promises to bless us because in that, that is the power by which we bless others. It is a, a, a strange, strange thing indeed that we've come to a part of church history where for some reason this isn't just a given that we that we feel like 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 even as church leaders or as pastors that that I must be a convincer of the ecclesia's identity of its direction of its task rather than Rather than the idea of going out on mission just being ridiculously self-evident from reading the Gospels. Like it, just, it, just, it, it blows my mind that people need to be convinced of this. It is like not even a question in Scripture. 
Not, like, zero, zero doubt. Simply by reading one of the Gospels, you would see that every follower of Jesus Christ, every person who took seriously making themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, doing the things that Jesus did, walking in the steps that Jesus walked, would say that being on mission to a world that is lost is the primary direction of every disciple. This is, it's ridiculously self-evident. You, you look at places like Luke chapter 19, right? The story of Zacchaeus, right? Where Jesus, at the, Jesus at the, the, has kind of those, those famous words at the end of that interaction with Zacchaeus. Um, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Right? You know, you, you, you all know the song, right? You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, climbed him in a sycamore tree. Just say you know it so I don't have to sing it, please. Okay? All right. For the Lord he wanted to see, right? And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, Zacchaeus, please come down for I'm going to your house today. Right? And we teach the kids that song and like, well, what's the purpose of that song? The purpose of that song is to get the point of Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Right? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Guess what? Zacchaeus was a Gentile. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Why did the son of man come? Why did he come? To seek and save that which was lost. That's, that's not an insignificant thing. Why did he come? To seek and save that which was lost. The ministry of Jesus was to seek and save the lost. And the disciples modeled their lives after him. Modeled their lives after his. Now, now seeking, right? Imagine... Imagine what it means to seek for something. Seeking is like, all right, how about this? Ever lost your wallet? Ever lost your keys? Heaven forbid, baby Jesus, don't let me ever lose my cell phone, right? Ever lost your cell phone? And looking for your cell phone, right? Seeking after yourself, like, like how... how how do you look for things like your keys, your wallet, or your cell phone when you lost them? It's an issue, right? Life stops. Pause on everything else that's important. There's something missing that I absolutely need, right? Seeking, when, when the word says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, seeking means it's a, it's a pursuit that is marked with an urgency of action like hey pause button on everything else this is important pause button Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost the seeking is an active pursuit marked with 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 urgency marked with an understanding of the the depth of importance of what Jesus has come to do and what all his disciples do as they follow in his footsteps. Earlier in Luke chapter 15, right? 
before the Zacchaeus story, we see these three parables, these seeking parables, these lost and found parables, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost or prodigal son, right? And I particularly love, of course, everyone loves the prodigal son parable. Um, we all know the parable of the lost sheep, but the parable of the lost coin is like it feels, um, it feels really like explanatory of the urgency. Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents, right? There is this urgency and diligence to find, to seek, to save the thing that was lost. There is rejoicing over it. There is a willingness to, to like be excited and to celebrate it. Our very, our very last um, core value in these five most important ones, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but I'll mention it now, is, um, is this core value. And we've we, we have stated, when we stated it, we stated it pretty um, simply. But we said that this, capital letters, this, insert here, counts as church. This counts as church. And what we are seeking to communicate there is that we embrace non-traditional methods to seek and save people who are far from Jesus. We embrace non-traditional method, methods to seek and save people who are far from Jesus. We're not down on traditional methods, right? We just understand that the urgency of action that comes along with being on mission requires that sometimes we make a bigger splash in the pond so that the voice is a little louder. And sometimes those non-traditional methods, right, they become the important, they, they become what we think is important rather than the heart or reason beyond or behind why we're embracing the non-traditional method. Oh, it's so cool you guys have a food truck. You did, you did church in the back of a laundromat? Like you paid for people's laundry? Yeah, yeah, but listen, the, the method is not what matters. What, what matters is the reason that we're willing to embrace the non-traditional methods. We aren't, we aren't afraid. We should, and if we are afraid, right? And I, I understand that sometimes we, we are afraid to do things in a non-traditional way. But we should not be afraid to take big, like, well, I don't know if this will work type of steps. Because, because we, we are a people who trusts the God who sends us on mission more than we trust our best laid plans. If you go back to the story of Abraham that we talked about at the very beginning from Genesis chapter 12... 
Before God tells him, I will make your name great, I will bless you, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse, like I'm in your corner 110%. God's like, there's, there's nothing that like, I'm with you, you got this, go be a blessing. Like something starts out pretty hard before it got like the promise of how awesome God was going to be on Abraham's behalf, right? What did, what did God, what in the world did God say to Abraham? Verse 1, before verse 2 ever happened. Verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, I'm pretty good with directions. Like, you tell me how to get to a certain place. Like, I can remember, okay, west, left, north, turn here, next to the oak tree. That's where it is. I'm pretty good with directions. But go to the land that I will show you. I ain't getting in the car. Right? I'm not getting in the car if that's the directions. Go to the land that I will show you. Where, where, what does that even mean? Oh, and, and before you go to the land that I will show you, I want you to leave behind everything that you know, everything that is important to you, and everything that has been comfortable your entire life. Leave behind your people. Leave behind your country. Leave behind your father's household. Leave it all behind and go. This is a, a fairly non-traditional, fairly risky endeavor that God was calling Abraham to embark upon. Leave all that is known, safe, and comfortable. And as a church, we may take steps that are not known, not safe, not comfortable to grab onto the urgency of action that is required to seek and save the lost. Because listen, we, we should expect non-predictable results. This is not like, this is not, God is not like, hey, um, it's going to be kind of a roll of the dice. If you do what I've asked you to do, it may go well and it may go poorly. It's not a roll of the dice, right? Because we're not trusting in the program or the ministry or the non-traditional thing or the trendy thing that we're doing. What we're doing is we're not trusting the program like Abraham who had no idea where he was going and had to leave behind all that was comfortable. It's not a trust in the thing. It's a trust in the God who sends. Abraham was willing to take the step not because he understood the direction that every step would take him, but because he understood and trusted that the God who sends is good, is faithful, is true. And non-predictable results require non-predictable methods. 
where we do what might be strange in a churchy type of culture and instead embrace our identity as a people who are willing to go to extreme lengths to seek and save the lost. That is why we're willing to say this thing counts as church. Because church is not defined by what we do in the most traditional sense or where we sit on a Sunday morning. Church is defined by the reality of God's calling of us as a covenant people to be a blessing to the world. My, 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 prayer, my prayer for us, of course, my prayer for us this year, you know that is from Isaiah 61, is that, that, that we would be, the Lord would make us oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor that will continue to be my prayer for us this year. But also my like corollary prayer, my, my co-prayer in that is that God would give us bold, confident, fearless hearts, minds, spirits of discernment that we would embrace even the most non-traditional of methods to seek and save the lost because it is who God has called the church to be. It is who God has made us and birthed us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray in accordance, um, not just in accordance with our level of faith. We pray in accordance um, with your level of goodness and power. Lord, and we know that you are capable of all things, that through you and in you, all things are created, are made, are sustained, are destroyed. Father, we trust you. We trust that when you said, I will make your name great, you will be a blessing. I will bless you and then all peoples on earth will be blessed from you. That when you grafted us into the family of God. By our faith in Jesus Christ. That that, that promise, that covenant promise. Uh, became a part of our DNA. It laid, it laid the very foundation for who we are. As a community of people called out from the rest of the world. Lord, and may you silence every competing voice that tries to convince us of an identity that you have not given us. Lord, we have ears only to hear your spirit. 
We have eyes only to see the glory of your Son. May it be so, Lord, in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.